Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, the podcast where every week we have on one of our favorite comedians to talk about one of their favorite things, and we trace its history to find out exactly where it all went off the rails. I'm Winsler Powers. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Andrew Nadeau. Andrew, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing so good. You might be able to hear I have lost my voice just from laughing this time. We had Chelsea Pope on. She's so good. She's a fantastic comedian. She's a Groundlings alum. She does some of the funniest sketches, I think, currently on on the internet. She does some wonderful care. She's so good. She was so funny tonight, but look her up on Chelsea the Pope on Twitter and Instagram, Chelsea underscore Pope on TikTok. She has a couple characters that I'm actually hooked on of her ghost character. Her Jem Saki character is amazing. She's one of those people that's just like effortlessly funny. It is incredible to watch. So we had her on today to talk about the history of public transportation and public transport in LA. Also a lot about the Matrix. A lot about the Matrix. There's a lot of Matrix in there too. A lot of Matrix stuff. <laughs> this was so much fun. What'd you think? This is my first time meeting Chelsea and I love meeting people on this podcast because like all of a sudden like you have a whole like you know when you meet people it's sometimes hard to be like well, what are we going to talk about we have a roadmap we have a roadmap of exactly what we're going to talk about we throw in some personal experiences in there I probably know Chelsea now better than I know some people that I've known for years just because we got to dick around on a podcast for an hour and a half right and couldn't be happier <laughs> because Jesus she's so fucking funny man and she also has a great podcast too that we talk about as well yeah definitely go check that out a breath of fresh movie she's so good you guys are going to hear for yourself let's get into it let's go Chelsea Pope, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to figuratively be here. We're, we're all in separate places, but yeah. I'm in what I have called my recording studio, but I had to add more and more stuff as I run out of space and it's harder and harder to pretend it is not a closet. Like I currently <laughs> have a box of tissues behind me and it makes it so much less convincing. <laughs> I was just going to say you have all the essentials. You have tissue, you have triple sec, you've yeah. got a camera and a mic and that's honestly all you need. You look like you're broadcasting from a bunker after the end of the world. <laughs> you're like Tim Rob, or no, not Tim Rob. Is it Tim Robbins in War of the Worlds? And he's like, Peach Schnapps. You want Peach yeah. Schnapps? Yeah. yeah. That's what the trip, the triple sec reminded me of that. I would love that they had that in like the original horrifying Orson Welles broadcast. Yeah. Chills. Like, oh, this is, this is a good bit. This is funny. They should get this in. The Peach Schnapps. I, that's, I remember so little about that movie, but I remember <laughs> being in the audience when Tim Robbins pops out and you're like oh I know that guy from Shawshank and then he's like you want peach schnapps and we're like oh he's gonna be the crazy guy but we love him. <laughs> Spielberg works so hard creating those aliens and those sounds and everything that's played and you're just like peach schnapps war the world. Uh, <laughs> get out of here you aliens. This movie's not about you. It's about the Tim Robbins 10 minute cameo. <laughs> 
this is what we're talking about today, right? Is where are the worlds in the Tim Robbins cameo? <laughs> well, this is a perfect setup because you actually have a movie podcast, a breath of fresh movie where you cover fantastic topics like this. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah. Thanks for the lead in. Yeah, no, a breath of fresh movie is my podcast. Well, it's my shared podcast. Honestly, my co-host and co-producer Victoria Harley is like, she's the badass who does like literally like 80% of the work on it. But we are both comedians. We met through the pack theater and we just talk once a week about a movie that we both watch uh, that week that we haven't seen. It's essentially like a book club, but it's a movie club that is just us both. But we encourage and invite other people to listen in on that. We think we're very interesting people and because we are and uh, (laughs) our thoughts are very important. Which is perfect, too, because if you have a book club, there are like three or four people that suck. And it'd be like, oh, it would be great if you were here to appreciate how good my take is. But I don't (laughs) want you to participate. Uh, You touch on a really good point as far as like the three or four, because we we played around. We just started this. She got the equipment and we just kind of started recording stuff. We didn't even know what the podcast was called for the first like several episodes and we just kind of back recorded those and then we made intros after but we were like should we have guests should we have shticks should we have bits and we were like we started bringing on guests and like i'm not calling any specific people out but it's been a (laughs) real mixed bag and i don't even want to fault the guests because on one hand it's like well we clearly didn't know our identity as a podcast or what we were doing as we're going you could put in a little more effort you could have watched the movie (laughs) yeah Yeah. well honestly there were some people who were just we were kind of like you know i don't think we want guests i think our (laughs) thoughts victoria and i's thoughts are so important we do not need guests no but that all having been said please listen yeah i'm (laughs) so excited to hear that guys this is a podcast so good that having other people would just ruin it i don't know a harder sell than that whereas we need the crutch we'd require the crutch of needing guests to make this listenable no i think you guys guys have a good system and a good balance and we're we're honestly still finagling but at the same time it's just like we're so busy gushing that it's kind of like, well, we just want an hour of either gushing or dunking on whatever movie we talked about. (laughs) And if there's this third person who in a couple instances either liked or disliked the movie that we felt the opposite about, it's like throwing a wrench in the machine and we should be rising up to that challenge, but we're actually shirking away from it. We're saying, no, your opinion (laughs) is invalid. No, no, because y'all have your own flow. You have what the show is. I completely understand that other people can mess it up. We were a movie podcast for a second. For a hot second, we were a movie podcast. Oh, yeah? Yeah. We started a couple of movies and we, and we said like, oh, we'll probably do more of this. We'll let the guests pick what they want. And a lot of times it'll probably be movies. And we're like, this is more fun if I have to go back 40,000 years for no reason. <laughs> this is something nobody asks of me. But it's hard to do that with movies. They were most of the time made pretty recently. I like that. I like that hunger for knowledge that you have. That driving force, I think, is like, I commend that. Well, Victoria will do re- research for Breath of Fresh movies. She'll definitely like, she'll do more than look at the Wikipedia, which is what I usually do because I'm like, the meat and potatoes are on Wikipedia is fine. Like, I care more about my feelings. Right. <laughs> I'm definitely the Chelsea of this podcast where Andrew is the Victoria. <laughs> there's always a Victoria and there's always a Chelsea. It's the classic archetype in all podcasts. Everyone's either a Victoria or a Chelsea. <laughs> Andrew's the Victoria and when's the Chelsea and ne'er the tween shall meet you know <laughs> i hope we have like at like four or five audience members that like just religiously 
listen to both of these and like, oh, my God, they called it. That is exactly right. That would be dope. <laughs> that would be so cool. Yeah. The center of that Venn diagram. You're like, we've been saying this for months. <laughs> that would blow my mind because that would be like a third of our audience right now for Breath of Fresh Mountain. Yeah. <laughs> we're still no, we, we, we're doing we're, we're slowly increasing numbers again. We're figuring it out. And so I'm just going to siphon off everything I've learned from this experience and apply it to what I'm I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> Teach me your ways. <laughs> but before this, you came back immediately when I asked you to come on with a very cool topic idea. What did you want to discuss for this? Well, I wanted to talk about, I was trying to think when you hit me up about things that personally affected me. And so I mentioned a couple of things, but the thing that we're going with is public transportation. I have, well, I was, I recently got a car, but I was carless in Los Angeles for the past five years. Oh, wow. A very tough place to be carless. Yeah, I was going to say, that is not a carless city. No, it's not. You know, it's funny because it's one of those things that, you know, you, I very much kind of Scarlett O'Hara'd the situation where I kind of was just like, whatever, I'm going to worry about it tomorrow is how I kept treating the situation. And I just kind of, I went with it and I figured, you know, I'm living off the fat of the land, so to speak. <laughs> like I'm, hand, I'm handling. And then now that I've had a, I've had a car for about a month now. And I remember just the first drive from the lot home. And as I was driving, I had this just in my brain. I was just like, how did we live like this for five years? <laughs> Why? I got groceries. You know how long it took me? 25 minutes. Yeah. That used to be an all day ordeal. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would have to pre-plan my whole day around minutia, about around minutia tasks that now take me less than an hour. <laughs> I would have to plan my entire day around. And I, you know, was working at, I now work downtown, which is annoying. I at least I have a car, but I initially was working at a restaurant in West Hollywood over this past summer. And it took me two buses to get from, cause I live in East Hollywood. And this part of why I want to talk about public transportation, because it shouldn't be that complicated to travel five miles. So it's actually more like six, but still it should not take an hour and a half to travel six miles. If you don't have a car, that's unholy. It's wrong. <laughs> it sounds like you went from like the experience of like the Oregon trail to like airplanes all in one day. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, I had all this money saved up and I was scared to buy a car and like did some research. My boyfriend admittedly helped me quite a bit with this research because I was so out of the car game for so long. I was just like, I don't know what to look for. I'm so used to bus. I'm so used to this lifestyle, the lifestyle of like leaving two hours ahead of time for wherever you need to go just because you have no clue. And even if you show up on time, the, the bus driver is a human being who makes mistakes. Sometimes they see a person on the stop or they don't and they just keep driving. You know, anyway, I, maybe I'm jumping ahead to the personal current issue stuff a little bit. No, that works perfectly. And I'm curious, what was your transportation modes growing up? Growing up? Oh, all right. So, I mean, I lived in small places. I lived outside Poughkeepsie, New York in a town called Hopewell Junction, which surprisingly did not have a great transit system. That's surprising. And also Hopewell Junction sounds like the fake name for like an idyllic small town with a secret. Yeah. More like Hopeless Junction. Yeah. <laughs> the jokes are going to come in hot today. 
<laughs> so yeah, so this was being driven around. There was no public transit. There was no anything. In my teenage years, we moved uh, outside Tampa and, you know, same thing. When I was in LA a few months back to do some shows, I lost money on every show just from Ubers. Like I had a couple booked in one night and I was like, oh, okay, I will need to do this show and then it will take me an hour and a half to get there <laughs> to do the other show. And I have no chance of doing this and it'll cost me $140. Uh, I mean, the shows were great. It was fun. It was, it was a good trip, but driving out would have made more sense. What about you, Wen? So I grew up in, and I'm visiting my parents right now. I'm at my parents' house outside of Memphis, where it's just like the country. The closest to public transportation coming to me was when the neighbor's horse jumped the fence and ran around our yard. Like that's the closest, <laughs> like a bus stop that I've ever had growing up. Uh, so you can imagine, like, when we were all just like sitting all outside, all of a sudden a white horse is just like running around the backyard, and we're all just like, are we asleep? Is this dream logic? This seems like dream logic. Is this a metaphor? Yeah. <laughs> a white horse? You're like, is that a unicorn? I can't see the horn. Like, or is this this Blade Runner? Like, we had like company over, like company to like grill out in the backyard. And like this happened. And they're just like, is this how you live? And we were like, I guess. Oh my God. So that was how I grew up. And then it takes me like five minutes to drive to a grocery store. It's going to be 30 minutes to drive to school every day. Like there is no way public transportation was going to happen. So when I moved to Chicago, and could just like hop on a train to get pretty much anywhere. And I didn't have to worry about being sober for transportation. Yeah. Oh, what a game changer. Huge. Yeah, that's a lifestyle change. Oh, it's definitely a lifestyle change. It's huge. And one that I miss now because I'm not getting on buses or trains or anything during a pandemic. But we do have a good system in Chicago that is like, you know, for the most part, you can get places without too much work, which is great to have access to. And then also so weird then to suddenly not have it because the city's designed to now need that. <laughs> so you've got a lot of people without cars. So it's a very sudden shift. But let's get into the history of this a little bit because we've got transportation and we've got a lot of where it went wrong. So trying to find the origin of public transportation. It wasn't public, but boats were obviously the first form of mass transit. It's estimated 40 to 45,000 years ago, boats suitable for significant sea crossings were needed in order to reach Australia. So this is the marking time of this is when they had to have had them to make the trips that they did. I'm sorry, I, I misread that for a second and thought it was like 40 years ago yeah. like boats <laughs> the first boats. I thought it was I thought it was like this is a wide range from 40 years ago to 45 <laughs> somewhere between 40 to 45 thousand years ago yes you're right that's not a joke I'm just dumb like, no the way I wrote that because I didn't do 40,000 45,000 I did 40 to 45,000 it's like oh yeah okay it could have been either 1980 or <laughs> basically dinosaurs you are very much regretting coming on this podcast like oh their research yeah. isn't as good as I've been led to believe no it's, it's like literally the opposite. I'm like, wow, I'm dumb. <laughs> Dang. My brain is going to hurt by the end of this. Let's go. It's Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll jump through some of this because the, the animal drawn ferries were considered to be the earliest form uh, of public transit. And this was often just a ferry set in the water, animal with a tow line walking along the side of it. The next evolution wasn't until 3500 BCE in ancient Mesopotamia with the invention of the wheel. This is something that obviously most people attribute to like caveman times, but no, far more recent 
than most people expect. I mean, cavemen were stupid. Yeah. I mean, they lived in caves, you know. How would you even make a wheel as a caveman? Like, circles do not occur in nature. That, cavemen are dumb. I don't feel like that's accurate. Like, like naturally, like smooth circles, like smooth circles. Oh, smooth not, circles. Like, like a ball, okay. like, you know what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. They were making like all kinds of weird shapes. They didn't know about circles. I know apples exist, Andrew. Shut up. So, so this started ancient Mesopotamia with the potter's wheel, which is obviously the, the wheel used to spin pottery. And then they figured out they could add axles uh, made of solid discs of wood, but it would still be 300 years before uh, it'd be added to make chariots. And exploration generally grew with the need for trade. Uh, so this was the cause of expansion. This led to the massive ancient Roman road system, which had over 50,000 miles of roads. And this was maintained. This is what Rome did when they expanded to care for their Roman citizens. Uh, they would maintain rest stations and the roads were cared for as well. And because of this, they also had large carriages developed to hold several people. These would be carts pulled by draft animals. These would be wooden but iron-covered wheels. So <laughs> the thing with this was Rome, it is a densely packed city. Everything existing at, at the same time of day, you don't have lights. Everything is kind of happening all at once. So getting anything through the city that wasn't a person walking, honestly, even a person walking, they said it could take forever to cross the city just because of the massive crowd of people. So they had to ban use of carts during the first 10 hours of the day. That's crazy. We're like, there's so many more people in the world now, but cars reign supreme. Like imagine if like New York City, there was just like, oh yeah, we can't have cars for the first 10 hours. There's too many people. Right. There's too many people in the room. Oh my God. What a world. It's a, I mean, they had only exceptions for things Things like if you were going to be going to the market and you were a trader, you had the cart to bring your stuff. But in that, people couldn't be, you know, driving through it with their carts or animals. And then there's this long period here where obviously they're making advancements in transportation, but the idea of making this a public act isn't really developed until 1662 in Paris. And the main focus here was they had established carriage operators that would always make the same journey and leave at the same scheduled time. So this was essentially what we would eventually develop as bus routes. Before this, you were able to rent carriages. They'd be used for travel, but the specific pattern uh, developed. And it kept a regular schedule. The first line was leaving every seven and a half minutes. Wow. So that's more efficient than present day. I know. I was really surprised. I double checked that because I was like, we're not doing that now. I have easily waited 20 minutes for a bus that said it arrived three times. Exactly. Like the bus does not come sooner than like 12 minutes at best. And the metro, same deal. Like even the best, like most prompt 10 minutes minimum, that's like seven and a half minutes. They were on their shit. We went backwards. They were. <laughs> no, it really had this together. And this was obviously a big pitch, one that was had to be pitched to the king to put to an act. So each coach had a driver and a valet, four horses, and could carry up to eight passengers. But Parliament of Paris, against the king's wishes, established a rule barring soldiers, pages, and other liveried men from riding in carriages to, quote, assure the greater comfort and freedom of the bourgeois and meritous classes. So, like, immediately after it started, it was like, okay, but fuck off if you're poor. I'm proud tradition that the CTA in Chicago continues to this day. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, we already discovered where things went wrong. Yeah. So. <laughs> it started really fast. Yeah. Public transit got classes. As soon as it started. It was like, a, it been up for like a week and they're like, well, we're not having poor people here. So police ordinance threatened whipping and greater penalties uh, to anyone who interfered with proper operation. Oh, geez. That's uh, what they called it. And there was a fair increase from five to six soul, which I did a lot of research on to find a modern equivalent, but could not find. I think that was the first time I've not been able to find anything on something here, but five to six soul, obviously too much. Public opinion turned 
immediately and it caused profitability to decline and eventually fail. But the other big problem was there was less need for it. Society and towns were built around a culture of accessibility. You lived near where you worked by a town square with all of your shopping. Everything was designed for you to be able to get everywhere on foot. The Americana. It was, yeah. The thing <laughs> is, it was a system that made so much sense and would continue to still make sense. Like the horse and carriage was wonderful for farther journeys, but the idea instead of building a city around the idea of everything you need will be accessible. And also it will be affordable to live near where you work, no matter what your job is. Uh, this, this was a system that made so much more sense. But still, the public transit failed here. It was a long time before anyone tried picking this up again. And they started with the railway. Railways was in the beginning were used far more for material shipping than for passengers. But the first horse-drawn passenger railway opened in 1806 between Swansea and Mumbles in Wales. But the next real development was in Manchester, the Omnibus. And this started in 1824. It had rows of benches along the walls facing inward. Many of these buses were two levels, as the classic London buses are now, with the upper deck benches facing outward. And they were developed soon after in Paris. And soon after they started in Paris, there was a fleet of 100 were built. They could carry 12 to 18 passengers, and within six months, they had two and a half million passengers on the omnibuses of Paris. Wow, that's a big omnibus. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's just one big omnibus. In six months, they just put in so many benches. Just kept making it bigger and bigger, okay? Everyone had to need to go to the same place, but if you did, it was perfect. Yes, the one omnibus to rule them all. <laughs> 12 to 18, what about two and a half million? Yeah. <laughs> oui, oui, parlez-vous français. Numbers-wise, we can let the poor on, I guess. Yeah, je vais à la boulangerie. All right, <laughs> I just wanted to show that I practice French. <laughs> that was the most impressive thing ever done on this podcast, by the way. Yeah. There you go, thank you so much. <laughs> That's high praise. That's high praise. Quick side note. You're the second guest that I know that speaks French. The first one was Maggie Smith, who we had on a few months ago. I worked with her at Second City. And there was a day where I was just like on the computer looking at something. Someone comes up to the box office to ask a question. And then like I've tuned out completely until I start tuning in and they're speaking French at each other. And I did not know she spoke French. I thought I was having a stroke. Oh my for like God. a solid minute. And so I realized like, oh no, Maggie is just way smarter than I am. Yeah. It's not like you expect to hear. Yeah, no, it has a little bit. And I say this in the nicest. I say this as someone who wants to speak fluent French and I I am a Francophile. I adore French culture. It does have a little bit of like a strokey vibe to it when you're listening. Yeah, Like if you don't speak French, if you don't have an ear for it or whatever, it just sounds like there are people talking in English that are a little strokey. Yes, exactly. I would say like a solid 15% of French accents sound like they're making fun of the French accent. A little bit. Yeah, because it is all naturally everything is down in this register and that was just how like if I was a French person this is where my natural register like would be down here like it's not a joke it is um like just how the French talk is down here you know you talk with this is a deep or it would be the Edith Piaf where it's like way up at the top Edith Piaf like a Marion Cotillard I do I do did a whisper you were on a train oh you and the China, the wee wee. That's the sound that you hear when you're on the omnibus to let you know where your stop is. You're on a train. 
<laughs> You're on the omnibus. Uh, you do not know where the omnibus is going. <laughs> I, I hope for like for the rest of this episode, we could just make this an ASMR podcast where we just deliver everything way too close to the mic in that accent. I'm so sorry. Did I just like blast out? It's all in the red. It was fantastic. It was remarkably relaxing. Great. Uh, <laughs> You're on the omnibus. That's its own character now. Especially when you tell me we don't know where it's going. There's nothing more calming than the people on the speakers of public transportation being like, we don't know where you're going. <laughs> well, that's why you need that calming voice. I have to write that down. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I, I know we're going to plug in the, in the intro too, because Chelsea and I were talking about it before the show, but I, I wrote Chelsea because I am such a huge fan of her characters and her videos. And we're going to have, you know, the handle at Chelsea Lee Pope on Twitter and Instagram and it's Chelsea underscore Pope on TikTok, all, all in the show notes. But please go watch all of them and this video that I cannot wait to see come out. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I've been wanting to do a Marianne Cotillard impression for yes. like the <laughs> longest time. Big public transport, pretty great. <laughs> I genuinely feel like in this recording right now we are I finally found because the thing is I know how to find a voice or an affect I can do all of the stuff but then I don't know the game right like I'll just be an old lady all of a sudden but I don't have a game like the Marion coach I just know uh, she talk like a whisper and <laughs> you want to it's almost it's almost like my Bjork impre- like Bjork and Marion Cotillard are like cousins like vocally <laughs> I feel like now that we're talking about public transit it's like it's right there this is it Marion Cotillard on a train you on the train. You do not know where the train is going. <laughs> so many people are listening to this right now being like, is this how people come up with jokes? Like, this is a silly process. Yeah, that's how I do it. That's how I do it, man. I have hated having to explain to people how we actually write because it is so embarrassing. Yeah, people think it's like this big thing and it's not. No, I get like five of my dumbest friends and we just start yelling things at each other until we're like, oh, that's a good one. You should write that down. That's how you do it. When someone's creatively blocked is because they can't get their five other friends to shout stuff. Right. That's, yeah, exactly. that's really it. Like my video I made yesterday was literally just me wearing a dirty sweater and I felt like one of the people in the, the Matrix ship because I was like, they all look, they're all dirty. Yeah. And then I was like, come get your dirty sweater. That's the video. <laughs> That's a <laughs> That's a great point because every time they show the real world in the Matrix movies, I'm just like, why would you leave? Yeah. Oh my God. You had such a good life. Who cares if it's real? Thank you. I know I'm I know I'm derailing this podcast right now. I just want to vent that like I made this stupid video on a whim. It's a 30 second video I made yesterday. And I posted it on the socials and on TikTok on both sides of the political spectrum, I'm getting angry people <laughs> who are like, you do not understand the rules of the matrix how would you even make clothes there's no livestock what are you making them out of human hair this is an allegory and you're disrespecting the allegory and i was like y'all i was just wearing a nasty sweater and i wanted to make fun of my sweater (laughs) like also i love the idea of like no the line for me is mocking allegories that's the one nobody can cross (laughs) people are getting mad people not a ton of people it's like one in ten which is actually kind of a high ratio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty high. That's actually a pretty high ratio. Maybe it's more like one in 50. It's still too many for a video about a dirty sweater. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you guys, like, calm down. <laughs> the stakes could not be lower here, guys. <laughs> comedy is not deep. <laughs> There's too much of just, like, comedy holds a mirror up to society. 
society and yeah. it's our greatest thinkers telling us about how the world is just like, no, it's us talking about the sweaters we're wearing and making <laughs> each other laugh. Exactly. I'm just making fun of my big gray stupid sweater with stains on it. Like, because they all wear a, a bunch of ugly shit in the Matrix. Yeah. They truly do. They really do. They, much wear, they wear a bunch of ugly stained Henley shirts and stuff. Like, like, why? Like, you guys are wearing, like, nasty, moldy thermals. Also, like, even if you do choose the real world over the Matrix, maybe, like, take some notes the next time you visit. You can bring some of this shit back. Like, I get it. It stays there. But maybe take some of the ideas. Just spruce it up. Yeah. It's, you know, you're all living in Caves. Yeah, they immediately are just like, here's your dirty sweater. The cave orgy is at full. <laughs> it's just like, okay, you're giving me high lows of, of outside the Matrix world. There's some bad stuff. There's some really good stuff. And I feel like we can meet in the middle. <laughs> Maybe we can have clean clothes like in the Matrix, but the cave orgies like we have here. Cave orgies are non-negotiable, okay? Everybody's got their urges. It's part of our team building. Listen, if you're going to take off your Henley in the middle of the orgy, don't expect it to still be there when you get back, okay? <laughs> that is a communal handling that's up for grabs. Someone else is gonna grab it, okay? We all gotta live, so um, whether or not you're in the Matrix, capitalism's gonna happen because people, there's demands, there's supply and demand, okay? And there's only so many Henleys and so many naked bodies. <laughs> Everyone's just Winnie the Pooh in it by the end. It's just like, ah, fuck. Yeah, no, we're not even getting into the pant part. Like, that's not even, I don't sell pants. I don't deal with that. That's not my problem. I'm a top half vendor. <laughs> I'm sorry, the omnibus, correct? Yeah, no, we're talking what were we talking about? <laughs> it was basically this. It was perfect. <laughs> Excellent. So um, I don't even know how to segue this. Much like in the buses in the Matrix, <laughs> they could carry 12 to 18 passengers. <laughs> Where the fuck were we? <laughs> There's no reliable way to collect fares from these passengers, okay, by the way. That's it. When you are 12 to 18 people on there, the fare collectors just kept it all themselves. They would not give it to the tax collectors. They would just pocket it and be like, I don't know, some people rode today, some people didn't. Yeah. I was on a bus once and my fare card didn't work and I, this is my favorite driver ever. He said, I have to tell you, you can't get on without paying, but that's all I have to do. <laughs> <laughs> like they don't get paid enough to police that. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, he was so nice and he was he was really friendly about it. He said, you know, no, I, I don't have to get you off, but I have to say it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, well, cool. I'm going to say I'm getting off then. I don't want to act like they don't get properly compensated. But truly though, from what I've seen on public transit, they do not get properly compensated to have to police the society. Oh, I no. mean, they're it's, they're it's dealing horrible. with more conflict management than like actual police force. Oh, like true. they're not getting paid enough. Whatever they're getting, it's not enough. I guarantee it. If you've never been on a bus before, it looks very much like everybody in the Matrix. <laughs> Just for a brand new comparison here, we haven't used yet. I think that's I think you're totally not wrong yeah. like, about that. Actually, <laughs> I go the haute couture of bus riding. No, when I get on a bus, I am not thinking about how I look. It's like, what am I? most okay getting sticky. It's a combination of that and like as a lady on the bus, I'm trying to draw as little attention to myself as possible because I want to say about 40% of the time someone tries to talk to me. I'm including the metro, like the metro subway.
way, whatever, you know, but the only way to try to help prevent that is to put up as many signifiers that you are not available for communication as possible, which is like, don't wear ostentatious clothing, no bright colors, headphones in, sunglasses. I don't care if it's dark out. Like you do not get eye contact from me. It's a whole thing. (laughs) Before you get dressed, like the thought is, would a peacock hate this? Yeah. I've always been about like, I love funky clothes. I love fashion. I used to like bribe to like L girl. I love cool, funky stuff. But then being someone who's lived in the city and dealt with all kinds of people and then I'm doing public transit and, you know, the last thing I need is somebody who's looking for a converse, like an in, just be like, hey girl, I like your jacket. Yeah. You know, it's just like, <laughs> I'm not giving that. I like your little, I like your cute little purple beanie. I like it. You know, like, it's just like, any way I can try to take away that bait is how I started to feel when I was doing the public transit. It's like, it's, it's addressing ostentatiously is actually quite a luxury. That is a horrifying prospect that I'm sure like every woman has had to consider and I've obviously never had to consider. Not to be a downer. Andrew gets on to the public transportation dressed as Elton John yep. playing <laughs> that stadium. <laughs> like, well, there's, you can go to, I feel like, and I hate to be gendered about it, but I do think that a lady entering a public transit ostentatiously dressed Elton John-esque, if you will, Lady Gaga-esque, if you will, I think she's more likely to be approached or spoken to than a dude doing that. Oh yeah, you don't have to say it's gendered at all. It is, I okay, mean, the, cool. the fact I, that the, the experience know. is gendered. Thank you. <laughs> I worry I'm walking into a trap bringing up gender sometimes, but when it's, I'm just going off my lived experiences. Guess what? We're an alt-right podcast. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. I have had maybe three people approach me on the bus. That's it. <laughs> I think I think we can pretty safely say that this is a gendered experience. And it's only been because you looked like you had money. Yeah. <laughs> it comes down to like the money and or are you like a soft person I can, I, I don't know, whatever. People don't come up to me being like, I want you to get off at the next stop with me. They come up to me because they're like, you look like you smoke. Can I get cigarettes from you? Yeah. And yeah, like, that's the yeah, look yeah, I yeah. give. People are always generally like profiling whatever it is, you know, like for sure. I definitely get an American spirits vibe from you a little bit. <laughs> that's very fair. If I was going to hit up somebody for some smokes, you look like someone who could afford to give up a smoke and you're probably not smoking like camels you're smoking like american spirits or something i love hearing what i look like andrew <laughs> once introduced me for a set no he's he like i played a set andrew came up afterwards and just said win looks like the kind of guy who's always down to ride a mechanical bull <laughs> i got a big response and i was like now i know what i look like i look like i ride mechanical bulls and smoke american spirits american boy stuff like yeah. i love that i think you're right though about the approach like if we had random creeps on the bus doing the profiling of for the Zodiac killer. They caught him in a week. <laughs> they know exactly what they're looking for. They're so good at it. Yeah. <laughs> they know. I mean, really though, like people who are looking around, like it's the segue is always like they're either commenting on your color or there starts. It's like, what's the time? But it's usually the gateway thing is something innocuous. Like what time is it right now? And it's like the time is on the board right next to me. There are clocks everywhere. It's 2021. Like, no one doesn't know the time at all. <laughs> <laughs> this ain't about the time. Like, you got a phone on you? You don't need my phone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's How about we both guess the time and we'll just have fun finding out who's right later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Exactly. <laughs> I like that game. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. So let's catch up quickly to how we got from the Omnibus to today. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Again, these companies just built very quickly and, and suddenly became pretty much a standard. Uh, but the big change in this was you could work and have a social life outside the neighborhood you lived in. And that was something that wasn't even considered possible before, except for the extremely wealthy. So streetcars were developed in 1855 in Paris, 1858 in Chile, 1860 in Sydney, not until 1932 in America. And these were first horse-drawn and followed tracks in laden roads, which, you know, decreased friction and, and made it easier to carry a heavier load faster. Cable cars had been attempted as early as 1826 in England, and this was a moving rope that could be picked up or released by a grip on the cars, allowing it to, you know, shift tracks. But the ropes available at the time were too susceptible to wear, so this was abandoned for the steam locomotives. And as technology improved, it was installed in New York City as its first elevated railway, uh, but was also closed and rebuilt with steam trains. So the real development didn't happen until Andrew Smith Halliday and William Eppelsheimer developed the cable cars in San Francisco. That would become the standard model for other cable car transit systems across the world. So due to San Francisco's extreme hills, horses both struggled and were often overwhipped to make the climb. So this was a shift that would be hugely helpful, uh, both to protect animals and for the needs of the city. So it just goes massive. 1881, first public electric tram in Berlin. 1890, the first underground railway was built. First rapid transit system was built in 1892, and that was the Chicago L for elevated tracks. Woo! <laughs> Shout out! Go Bears! Uh, <laughs> so this, this continues growing quickly. This is also the time when roads have improved greatly, and at this point we're able to make them much smoother the ride easier. And then the next big shift is in the 1960s when the first bullet train between Tokyo and Osaka with the average speed of 99 miles per hour was developed. And in the same time when Tokyo developed this, America had just transitioned to diesel electric trains over steam, just absurdly far behind. 2000s, Shanghai was the first city to implement electric battery powered buses with zero emissions. And China had about 99% of the 385,000 electric buses on roads worldwide. And its cities are adding 1,900 per week. Uh, so there are big advancements here, just not ones we're doing, you know, at all in America. But China is killing it on public transit. But that about brings us to where it went wrong. Chelsea, where did it go wrong? Oh, man. It went wrong when I had to start taking it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all of this was great in theory, but in practice, we're super lame. Super lame. Well, I mean, I think, you know, on like to put it super broadly, like where it went wrong is that we had car vendors who wanted to sell to the individual and we essentially leaned in specifically with Los Angeles and just I'm like totally glazing over this but the idea just being that LA was had good transportation and that was essentially via lobbyists and folks whose financial interests lay in automotive industry you know they went out of their way to make this a car dependent city or you know to make this deliberately a pain in the ass for folks who did not own their own set of wheels and I don't think it's just not just an LA thing having lived outside of LA. It's just a problem in general. Like we have deliberately built our society around not having accessible transportation because we need to create this incentive. We need to create this sort of like, like being able to taking public transportation, like you should feel punished for that. Like you should not feel like you're doing well, like you should feel bad. 
if you're taking the bus, you should feel bad if you're taking the metro. That's like what LA and specifically LA is trying to tell you when you are dealing with public transportation, because otherwise it wouldn't be designed the way that it is. They need to create that motivation for you to be hustling within this capitalist system. Yeah, I know how I sound, but no, it's, it's, tr- it, 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 true. it's true. It's true. This is why it is the way it is. You are not supposed to feel good on a bus. You are not supposed to feel good taking the metro. You messed up is what LA wants you to feel when you are taking either of those modes of transportation. You messed up and you need to get another job. You need to save your bones, buy a car and participate because you're not participating properly. You fail. I do feel like any city that doesn't try to pride itself on its public transportation, any city outside of DC, New York, Chicago, it feels like their transportation is almost just like, here you go. If this gets you to where you can serve me my food, then you can fucking have it. And like, that's like the vibe you get from almost every other city that doesn't pride itself on public transportation. You're right. And it was very deliberate, too. I mean, I know it sounds like this is a conspiracy theory. Every other first world country sees this as a necessity of caring for its citizens. And America is the only one that has made it a political issue. And they've done this by the right portraying it as having public transportation was a welfare issue or a social system. Nowhere else public transit seen as the method of travel for the poor. It's the method of travel that could be best in a situation. But here, obviously, because they're so tightly tied into the oil companies and the car companies, it is very important to crush anything public transit. And they've done that because their base also does not want to support poor people. So they have a system that is built around this concept of this should be an awful experience. You should be shamed for doing it. And then they have worked with these car companies to structure roads to make it less and less effective. So you become more and more required to take a car while also designing a system where the car, it will often be, I mean, in some cases up to 70% of a person's expense just to maintain the car. And there have been cases where people said, I will maintain my car payment no matter what, because if I lose my house, I still have a car to live in. It's a horrifying prospect. (laughs) I mean, how many times do you see a heartwarming story where it's just like this person walked six miles to and from work every day, but then everyone chipped in and got them a car. And it's like, that's not how it should work ever. Like society should just be like, hey, people need to get to work. The world has chipped in to make sure that we can run smoothly and we don't have to depend on the other fast food workers really digging deep to make sure someone else have to walk like three, five, six miles to work. And the thing is, is this is, wouldn't it be a charitable act? This this would strengthen all of the work of society because this would allow people to get to their jobs easier, allow people to be on time to do their work, to find work they care about, to find a place to live that makes them happy. This is not something that just helps specific people. This would help society as a whole. And I do want to touch a little bit on some of the history that led up to this because you're right, this was so like malicious and deliberate because LA, it did have a great public travel system because streetcars were very effective in the, in the early 1900s and they were able to grow abundantly as the roads the tracks uh, would be built in for the most part already existed. Cities were built in a structure of accessibility, so it wasn't like they were typically needed for these big two-hour commutes. They provided essentially all the transportation the public generally needed. The problem was, because they were built on roads, they were susceptible to traffic um, and traffic patterns, which was not an issue in the beginning. But as cars developed and got more popular, they also got less responsible. So people wanted to see what their cars could do. Also, they were considered a tool of the rich. They were even called pleasure cars. It was more akin to someone owning a boat or a yacht today uh, to own a car back
back then. So they'd start driving quickly and responsibly. And because at this time, streets weren't treated as a place for cars, but they were a place for everyone. By law, this wasn't just like, oh, maybe we can hang out here. It said uh, all persons have an equal right to the highway and that in exercising the right, each shall take due care not to injure other users of the way. So this was understood that it was the car's responsibility to avoid pedestrians, not the reverse. But they kept hitting people like a lot. And between 1901 and 1923, the number of automobile fatalities in the U.S. rose by around 3000 percent. Obviously, there were a lot more cars at the time, too, but it was just incredible. And uh, those that were killed were mostly pedestrians, typically either children or the elderly and not drivers. But the accidents became such an issue that some towns had discussed banning cars or putting in limiters that, that kept speed limits to Cincinnati wanted to keep the cars below 25 miles per hour. And the automotive industry saw this problem and knew that they had to find a way to stop it, but not the killing people part, the bad press part. So they started this massive smear campaign against the victims that their product killed. And they did this by calling them jaywalkers. And Jay was a very offensive slur at the time. Uh, and it was their fault for being a dump Jay that would walk in front of a car. And they made posters showing a guy being hit by a car saying, don't jaywalk. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't know that was a slur till literally five seconds ago when you told me it was a slur. <laughs> yeah. And then every time you said it afterwards, I cringed and was like, Andrew, you can't say that. It's a slur. <laughs> <laughs> I just kept thinking about every guy I know named Jay and just like, that's offensive. Yeah. <laughs> they just put a big target on your back. Yeah. That's just how susceptible I am to just like my knee jerk reaction of having to be morally right at all times. That's yeah. like, Andrew, you can't do that anymore. No, can't. Did, did you know? Didn't you realize like me five <laughs> seconds ago? <laughs> I just heard the new social norm and you're not doing that. That's wrong. I'm going to make five TikToks about my own podcast. About how Andrew kept saying Jay, even though he knew it was a slur. It's just about Jay. It's just about Jay. The whole podcast. Yeah. 50 episodes. So this was an insane concerted effort by the entire auto industry. The fact that they could accomplish all this was insane because they took over a series of meetings set by future President Herbert Hoover, then a Secretary of Commerce, to create a model traffic law that could be used by cities across the country. And the result was the 1928 Model Municipal Traffic Ordinance, which stated that pedestrians could only cross at crosswalks and only at right angles. By the way, just look up pictures of cities in the 1910, 1920s. You'll see even with horses and carriages and cars there, people are walking openly in the street. You have trays set up in the street. That's where carts are. It was just considered for everybody. And this law changed it massively. But they still had to get this enacted and enforced across the country. So they set up a wire service where reporters could send them details on a traffic accident and the auto industry themselves would send them back a completed article by the next day for print that the papers would just put out there. And these articles shifted the blame to walkers and emphasized the importance of the new laws. AAA began sponsoring school safety campaigns and poster contests crafted around the importance of staying out of the street. Some campaigns were designed to ridicule kids who didn't follow the rules. I found one that said in 1925, hundreds of Detroit, uh, which was, you know, the hub of auto manufacturing school kids, watched the trial of a 12-year-old who'd crossed the street unsafely. And a jury of his peers sentenced him to clean chalkboards for a week. This was set up by AAA. <laughs> I mean, it was horrifying. I'm going to have some choice words next time they fix my tire. Next time they jump my car, I'm going to have some words for this guy. <laughs> well, it was incredible. They just decided and they realized this kind of effort became a key part of their final strategy, which was shame. Yeah, I was going to say, like, they just built an entire thing around shaming a 12-year-old. Oh, yeah. Like, nationally, in order to be like, 
maybe this will get less people hit by cars so we could sell more cars. What if we just ruin this one 12 year old's life? And you know, the article had some things about their appearance in there that were very gutting at the time. <laughs> well, E.B. Lefferts, he was the head of the Automobile Club of Southern California in the 20s. He said regarding uh, getting pedestrians to follow traffic laws, the ridicule of their fellow citizens is far more effective than any other means which might be adopted. This was a thought out plan they had across their whole network to just get people to shame people instead of just doing it themselves. And it was comparable to the message of anti-drug campaigns in the 80s and 90s where there's no fault on the culture, the circumstances, just you're a loser or an idiot if you do it. It's dangerous for you and it's your fault and you're stupid. They in fact even lobbied for police to publicly shame jaywalkers instead of just ticketing them and even asked them to carry women back to the sidewalk. Because we're stupid. Yeah. <laughs> we did dumb. We didn't need to carry us to take us back to the sidewalk. Hey, dumb lady. Triple A's over here just like, okay, we'll shame the children, we'll assault the women, and we'll call the men who do it filthy J's. Yeah. There you go. What's changed? Yeah. <laughs> so there was a 1924 safety campaign where they hired a clown to march in front of a slow-moving car and get rammed repeatedly. Again, just to reinforce the message of you're a clown if you do this. I've seen a similar video and it is quite erotic. Uh, <laughs> this campaign was so successful. The term jaywalker, it was shocked to be set and it became the term for the law. It's basically like if today you called it the fucking dickhead rule and the government was like, yeah, that's a legal term now. You're a fucking dickhead if you do that. <laughs> Stop fucking dickheading. Stop, dick, stop fucking dickheading here. You're dickheading again. You're dickheading. No dickheading. Read the sign. No dickheading. What, actually, I will say one of the biggest problems with public transportation is the amount of dickheading that goes around. So It's, it's like, it's, yeah, it's a huge issue. <laughs> well, this is where it ties to what Chelsea had mentioned, because while all this is happening and building greatly in the 30s, traffic was such an issue in L.A. that that same influential automobile club of Southern California came up with a plan for an elevated freeway. But a key aspect of this was dismantling the streetcar lines to be replaced with buses that could run on local and new express roadways. And this coincided with the desire to expand the national road grid. Now, Eisenhower is credited with the interstate highway system in 1956, but that was creating a unified standard for construction and signage as well as largely expanding it. But it started much earlier with the Federal Aid Road Act of 1916. And this was devised for two reasons. One, to connect the country with roads. And two, and this was explicitly stated as a goal, not just a theory of motivation, to use the highways to destroy the houses and parts of the city that primarily housed people of color, forcing them out. And highways were designed to go around any affluent area and go through any poor areas. That same Federal Highway Act Eisenhower is to be praised for and in the 50s offered to pay 90% of the cost of states' roadways with the caveats they could set to build them through every major city and connecting emerging suburbs uh, to downtown centers. And this was also at the same time when racial zoning was just beginning to be outlawed. So this was a practice used to force them out in other ways. And the government would claim eminent domain to claim their land. Uh, if they couldn't where the racial zoning had existed before, the rich members of the community would get them to build the highway along the same lines, creating a literal physical barrier uh, to keep people of color and the poor out of the neighborhood. And expansion between the 50s and the early 70s was huge. And estimates from the U.S. Department of Transportation estimate more than 475,000 households and more than a million people were displaced nationwide because of the federal roadway construction. And in L.A., it really was a massive thing at the time. It was so impactful in how it started this and uh, the amount of damage it did to the Latin community, especially was just huge and very deliberate. It's one of those things that even when it's discussed now, it's often discussed like, oh yeah, well, they I mean, they had to do it to some people. No, this was targeted. And especially because those that weren't forced out saw their communities destroyed. They'd lose churches and green space and gathering areas. Air quality was heavily impacted. Small businesses that provided crucial jobs were closed, leading to 
the entire area falling apart, which reinforced the need for suburbs. People would now have to live outside of the city and commute in, which meant you needed a car. This was so heavily calculated. And in order to make this work, they also had to destroy the competition. And that was primarily streetcars. There, there was a natural factor to this. It's not just the conspiracy we're about to discuss, because after World War One, the value of five cents, which was the cost of streetcar fare, had plummeted. But streetcars had to get approval for any fare hikes. And the idea of the five cent fare was so ingrained among the public that no one would improve an increase to cover costs as it had received backlash from the constituents. Other countries, of course, would pay for that <laughs> because it was a necessary part of developing your country. But now cars were sharing the road with streetcars, and once just 10% of a city owned cars, it caused enough traffic congestion that streetcars weren't making their schedules. So the solution was no more streetcars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's not just like the jobs in manufacturing. 20% of state sales tax revenue comes from car sales. Not to mention uh, the relationships they have with the auto industry and the oil industry. The government had no interest in upsetting either of these industries. So streetcars were able aging and losing money with no government help, and it was hit even harder at the start of the Great Depression. They couldn't maintain the required service standards. And what happened next was insane, because General Motors formed a new subsidiary, United City Motor Transport, to finance the conversion of streetcar systems to buses in small cities. They were successful in cities like Kalamazoo, Michigan, Springfield, Ohio, so they approached larger cities. There was even a law passed in 1935 that made it illegal for a single private business to provide public transport and supply electricity to other parties. And a lot of the people that were running the streetcar lines were also with the electric company. So it basically shut down anyone who had been running the streetcar. And there was a lot of discussion of how and why this happened. And obviously it was General Motors and their people behind it got this law enacted. That, yeah, because that, that is such a special like combination of two areas. Like <laughs> that was so targeted to be like, you can't be a private company and provide electricity. Like that's such a perfect overlap that it's like, come on, we know what you're doing, man. Right. And also it had made sense as a company too, because it's like, look, the electricity is needed for these streetcars to work. And it's obviously a much cleaner system than much of what's being used today. It was great. So this kind of sabotage continued for a while. But the big issue started in 1938 when National City Lines and its subsidiaries, American City Lines, with investments from GM, Firestone Tire, Standard Oil of California through their, you know, hidden subsidiary and other similar corporations gained control of additional transit systems in 25 cities, including St. Louis, Baltimore, LA. Starting in 1938 for about a decade, NCL, National City Lines, with funding from major oil and car companies converted streetcars to buses. They got laws passed and went across the country where they'd forced streetcars out of business, then got their buses put in as a replacement transportation system. And it was so successful that despite streetcars being the dominant form of public transit in most every major U.S. city, only a handful survived. In 1946, Edwin J. Quinby, who was the founder of the Electric Railroad Association, published an expose on the ownership of National City Lines and what they were doing. And the result of this, the proof of just this massive thing of destroying cities, in 1947, nine corporations and seven individuals who were officers and directors of certain corporations were indicted on counts of conspiring to acquire control of a number of transit companies, forming a transportation monopoly, and conspiring to monopolize sales of buses and supplies to companies owned by National City Lines. They were uh, convicted of conspiring to monopolize the sale of buses, but acquitted of conspiring to monopolize ownership. And the result of this, GM was fined $5,000 and GM treasurer H.C. Grossman was fined $1. Oh no! Oh shit! Oh my God! Uh, oh my God! Oh no! That's, that's awful! <laughs> that's 20... <laughs> Rail rides back in the day. Yeah. That's 20 nickels. That's a lot of nickels. That's terrible. It, 
It was absolutely insane that all this happened. And like, okay, yes, we get it. You did plan to destroy the transit system necessary for basically every citizen in the country in order to make more money. But, you know, you're making cars now, which because of what you did, we need. So just like pay a dollar and it's cool. We cool. (laughs) This was what happened. This was this deliberate, concerted effort to destroy public transit uh, across America, starting in L.A., where they figured out how to make it work there. And they did it so well that it has never really fully recovered. And this was, the more I read about this, the more I was like, they feel like cartoon villains. Yeah. (laughs) Who would actually do something like this? This is so stupidly specific. Clown stuff. I could not believe this was real. It's very, I mean, like literally like who framed Roger Rabbit. Like, highways, as far as the eye can see. That was it, actually. (laughs) The storyline they used in Roger Rabbit was from this conspiracy. That movie is full-blown fantasy the way they just overcame the automotive industry. That was it. The only untrue thing in Who Framed Roger Rabbit was that the good guys won. That was that was the only unrealistic part. We just needed to put Christopher Lloyd in some goo and we're good. God. Public transportation <laughs> is saved. What if instead of the goo, they were just like, you have to pay one dollar. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> Well, so, yeah, this is the background of how it just destroyed this system. So what is it like for you now? I know they're working on it. I know they're supposedly building it up. There have been some lines added. Obviously, we also have Elon Musk, who's like, what if we, you know, drill a hole and then put a train in, but the train can just hold one person at a time. And you're like, that's cars again. And he's like, no, but it's only for rich people. And it's like, that's good cars again. That's the same thing. It's the same thing. (laughs) No, no, Elon, no. It's the dumbest plan. He's so frustrating because I feel like I would be such a Musk head. (laughs) If he had accessible ideas, you know, like I'm not going to lie. Like the first time I randomly got like a Tesla when I took like a lift one time, just some guy wanted to lift in his Tesla or whatever. And I was like, this is nuts. (laughs) What's frustrating is that that only further just sort of like it further sort of exemplifies like, oh, shit, I got normally I got to take the bus or whatever, you know, like and I'll say like, yeah, there are plans and efforts to be expanding the metro and all these great things. But how much of that is actually tangibly getting developed in the moment, you know, versus things that are getting held up by COVID or being said that they're being held up by COVID, but are just being just back burner. It's it's still treated as back burner shit. Like there's no reason we have not expanded the purple line at this point, other than it's just not a city priority. And yeah, I mean, you know, the reality is like I have been burdened and I have been a burden on loved ones yeah. and <laughs> colleagues by not having a car and literally just having a car for this past month. It's like LA is a miserable place without a car. I'm sorry, unless you're super wealthy. And even then you don't know what kind of Lyft driver or Uber driver you're going to get, you yeah. know, because that's another <laughs> situation. It was a much lower percentage, but I definitely, I had weird dudes being like, Ooh, what's that scent you're wearing? Oh, or is that just you? Yeah. Like I, I've had creepy people. I've had like very scary driver. In my previous car, I was also a Lyft driver for a brief period of time. I feel like it's a rite of passage for sure. like <laughs> LA noobs, for comedians specifically, thinking it's going to be this networking opportunity or whatever <laughs> bullshit they try to tell you. It's like, yeah, no, what if there's a producer and I happen to leave my pilot on his back seat? And the producer wants to have a conversation with the driver. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm looking for inspo on the way to my lunch meeting to 
tender greens. Tell me about your pitch. Do you have something funny that like Marin Cotillard could do? Do you have any funny ideas for that? Marion Cotillard. What if we put her on another train? Yeah, yeah. No, only because I've had to say her name several times to try and pitch a a character or impression of her. I want so badly for this to be the thing that blows up for you. Wouldn't that be cool? (laughs) It's the Marion Cotillard on a buzz impression. I look for any opportunity to claim that this podcast did good things for our guests. Thank you. Well, this is doing great things for me spiritually for what it's worth, you know. Hold on to that because we're about to force you to go in the other direction because this covered our personal experiences, the history, where it went wrong, which brings us to In Their Defense, where we have to defend the destruction of the public transit system. Chelsea, what do you have for us? But if we don't have the cars, then the oil's going to be sad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just love when people like, but then the money would be sad. Like yeah. that's, just, <laughs> that's really what this kind of, I guess, comes down to, because if we had effective enough public transit, then like the people that are affected are just the money makers, you know, just the people that make money off of the cars who make the money off of the oil or whatever. And it's like, oh, well, these are real people with livelihoods. It's like, okay, well, no. (laughs) That's fantastic. That is the defense they consistently use. And for some reason, people buy it. The money would be sad. The oil would be, (laughs) what do we do with the oil? What are we going to do? Leave the Middle East alone? Oh, I can't have that. What? What? Okay. Who are we going to go to go with that? Then what? We're going to expand other public services like the library and healthcare? You know what that is. It's communism. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not about being a dirty commie. Yeah. Listen, I got to say, though, that like in defense of cars, I like having a place I can freely sing Kate Bush while I'm on the highway. I was going to use I like singing in my car as my defense. Oh, sorry, sorry come up with a new defense. You got money sad and singing in car? That's um, embarrassment of riches. Sorry, I'm just going. Do you want me to go first one so you can think of a new one? I'll freestyle it. So like I said, growing up my only real interaction with public transportation would be if that horse jumped the fence and I got to ride it into town. It takes me from my parents' house 25 minutes to get into anything that you could refer to as quote unquote town. Like the grocery store was built years after we had already moved here. Other than that, it's just one gas station that we called the cow store because it had like a little plastic ceramic cow on top that some teens stole one night and it's never returned. The cow is gone. Like a car was the only way that we could actually like interact with the rest of the world because a city would never build any kind of car that would come through out to where we live. Cars were essential if we're going to get anywhere. So therefore, we do have to have infrastructure for cars. We do have to be able to travel that way. I'm not saying that we should decline public transportation in order for them to exist. However, we did need to find ways that they could go side by side and people could get around and get along. And you know what? The way they chose was to screw over poor people in cities. Do I love that they did it? No. But my (laughs) country bumpkin ass needed a way to get into town so I could see some at the movies and buy my cereal. So (laughs) this is what happened. And you know what? 
I got cereal, I watched movies, and I also got to scream sing Kate Bush in my car, and therefore, fuck public transportation systems. Who needs them anyways? One day, I'm going to be the guy making cars, and then you're all going to have to come to me. Sure. You're all going to have to come to me, and you can't take your buses and your fucking subways anymore, because for some reason, I think I'm going to make cars now. There you go. <laughs> in conclusion, when's ego? Exactly. That's every episode of this podcast. Podcast. You gotta come to me. <laughs> that was you. That was my impression of you. <laughs> I think that was a fantastic defense. Mine is twofold. One, about two years ago, I got on a bus and there was a guy who looked just like me, but much more attractive. And I have never had my feelings so hurt. Oh, I have no. never fully recovered uh, <laughs> from that experience. I can't risk that every time I get on a bus. There's nothing worse than getting on the bus and not being the most attractive person on the right? bus. It's that like, has okay. happened to me before and it's a mind fuck because you know what? That's like the one thing I've got going for me when I go on public transit and I'm like, I know I'm the best looking person here. And when someone steals that from me, it's like, get Back in your car, you dick. Right. If you're that attractive, you can you afford to drive somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I've just been momentarily disgraced. <laughs> I do like that there's an approach of no matter what bus you're on, it's always I'm the only one that doesn't belong here, uh, <laughs> which is the mindset that has sustained us. Yeah. We're all the temporarily embarrassed millionaires, a John Steinbeck quote. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I'm just glad that you've also had a run in with Hot Andrew. Do you know him too? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> what if I was just like, yeah, me and Hot Andrew? hang out all the time. No, because that implies like, there's a better podcast being run by Hot Wynn and Hot Andrew out there. Yeah, it's the, the, some, someone cracked open the spider verse yeah. of Andrews and Wynn's. Yeah. There's hot ones walking around. You know, there's noir. There's the pig ones. I, I don't know. There's a spider verse ones. I would like to think that those who are walking around just being like, have you heard about Funny Win and Funny Andrew. Exactly. You guys are the funny one. Or, or you're like in Rick and Morty where it's like, am I the Mortiest Morty? You guys, you're the Andrewest Andrew and the Wensiest Wensler. I'm going to be honest. The idea of me being the funny Andrew in the multiverse, amazing for my self-esteem. Hell I had yeah. not considered it that way. That was fantastic. But I do have one more angle on my in their defense. And that is COVID based. And I know what people are thinking that it's going to be like, oh, we need cars. We can't make public transit. No, my defense is that we need soap and Dawn has basically built their entire campaign on being able to clean oil spills off of baby ducks. If we don't have cars, we don't have that excessive need for oil. We don't have oil spill. Dawn goes out of business because they don't have to clean baby ducks. We don't have the baby duck videos. That we don't get to watch baby ducks get cleaned. Sold. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the winning argument right there, folks. There we go. I mean, I think that about <laughs> wraps it up. We had the history where it went wrong. Our personal experience, some pretty creative in their defenses. And that's about to do it. We also have Chelsea Pope. Chelsea, thank you so much for coming on today. This was so much fun. Thank you. No, I had a really great time. You guys are great. And this was a real treat. So thank you. Absolutely. And God, please go follow her at Chelsea the Pope on Twitter and Instagram and Chelsea underscore Pope on TikTok and just watch every video. I have yet to find one that hasn't made me laugh out loud. That's awesome. <laughs> so Chelsea, thank you for being here. Guys, thank you for listening. If you enjoy this, please subscribe. Give us five stars. It helps out so much. We also have a Patreon there on the show notes. It helps us keep the show running. We're we'll back next week. We hope you'll join us then. When? I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.